John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, the Word of God says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And together, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God, these powerful verses that we read. I pray that you would help us to dive uh, into them. And Lord, that you'd teach us these uh, truths that we have before us today. And Lord, that you'd also help us get a good start to our theme this year of supernatural, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us understand that we are supernatural. We just need to live up to that and allow God to work in us and through us to do greater things than we can do on our own. And so bless the time of your preaching. Speak to each and every heart. Save those that need saved. Uh, help those grow that need to grow. Do your work in each one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our theme for the year is Supernatural. Uh, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually the first year where our theme did not come from a Bible word or a phrase directly out of a scripture. And I really prayed about that uh, because supernatural, you know, what does that mean? And I, I thought about it, meditated on it, but I, I think that it is a word that we all understand and a word that accurately describes who we can be and who we ought to be uh, through Christ. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to show you in just a few moments that you already are supernatural. You just may not know it. And that through Christ, through salvation, and through the Holy Spirit that lives within us as uh, the down payment of our salvation that we have a capacity to live beyond, as Christians, we have the capacity to live beyond what unbelievers can live. You have opportunities that unbelievers don't have. You can live in a way that lost people can't live. And God wants us to rise above the normal, what is normal in this world, and be supernatural, to live supernatural. And so when you think about the word supernatural, uh, what an interesting word. It's commonly used in our popular culture today. It just won't stop, will it? It just wouldn't stop. <laughs> Punching it, beating it, stop! Yeah, yeah that's right. <clears throat> I'll never forget one time we was in an auditorium of about 75, seated about 7,500, and we were there for a morning lesson, and... Uh, place had thousands of people in it and I had my phone I forgot it and put it in my uh, trench coat pocket and my coat was rolled up and stuffed under the seat in front of me and all of a sudden the phone started ringing and I'm like who's the dummy that didn't turn off their phone 
And then I realized it was mine. And I realized that it was going to take so much effort and create such a scene to get to my phone, I just looked around. <laughs> and uh, the person next to me is like, Pastor Dunham, like, and just look around. And then I knew it would stop eventually. But, uh, oh, well, praise the Lord, the things we do, amen? All of the rest of you are checking your phones right now, right? You're... All right. Uh, supernatural. Think about what an interesting word this is. It's used commonly in our culture today. Uh, many people, especially young people, use it to describe fictional heroes promoted by Marvel or DC in uh, movies and books. Uh, it's used especially around Halloween to describe spirits and ghouls and goblins and ghosts. Uh, someone even told me that it's the name of a popular TV show about a family who hunts monsters. I have no idea. Uh, not my kind of thing. But the question I have for you today is, did you know that you are supernatural? Think about that. You are supernatural. It's true. God made you a supernatural being. And what's really special is not only are we conceived as supernatural beings, but once we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us an incredible capacity to live and to tap into the supernatural world and live above what is considered to be natural or human. And it's my prayer that as we go through this theme this year and through these sermons and even this message, that we'll learn the depth of the supernatural gifts we've been given and the heights of the supernatural that we can attain. Now think about what the word supernatural means. The adjective super uh, is from the Latin super, meaning above, over, or beyond. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the adjective form of super as of high grade or quality, very large or powerful, Exhibiting the characteristics of its top or extreme or excessive degree. Uh, you can think about words like superintendent. That's the one who intends the other leaders. Supercar. That's above and beyond the capabilities of a normal car. A superheat. Uh, superhighway. And anytime you see the, the word super attached to another world, it just means over, above, beyond, greater, more powerful. Then if we begin to think about the word supernatural, what does that mean? It means beyond the natural, above the natural, greater than the natural. Merriam-Webster defines supernatural as of or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. And that's true. There is a world right now going on that you and I can't see. It's supernatural. Uh, the next definition says departing from what is usual or normal, especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature. And so supernatural is whenever you can transcend the natural laws of nature. And we know that uh, through God, we have the ability to do that. The word supernatural refers to something beyond the natural. It's something supernatural cannot be explained by natural laws. It's more than natural. And I want each of one of you right now to just take a moment and look around you. 
And what do you see? You see bodies, walls, pews, windows, furniture. It's all natural. These are things that we can taste and touch and hear and smell and see. They're easily understood. But here's another question. What lies beyond what you can see? What lies beyond what your eyes are capable of registering? For example, I see your body, but I don't see your soul. And all around us, there is an unseen unseen spiritual world at work all the time. It's invisible. It's eternal. It's supernatural. Now, here's the great thing. As a human... We have a foot in both worlds. We have a foot in the natural world, and we have a foot in the supernatural world. We have a natural body, but we have a supernatural soul. This allows us to take part in both worlds. We have a body that is bound to the laws of nature and physics, and it will live and it will die. It is a natural body. But we have a soul that is not bound to the laws of nature and physics. It is unseen. It is eternal. It's supernatural. Most people today only focus on the natural world. Our culture is becoming increasingly naturalistic, focusing on only what they can observe and explain. And I've thought about why this is. Why the departure from the supernatural and I look to science you know science began as an exploration into our natural world trying to explain the world and the supernatural beyond the world for example Robert Boyle he was a prominent scientist I lived from 1627 to 1691 he argued that the study of science could improve the glory of God That the study of science, the study of our world, could improve our understanding of the world, which would make us glorify God more as we understood the great creative acts it took to make the world we live in. Another man, Justice von Liebig, he lived 1803 to 1873. He was a celebrated chemist. And he said, quote, The greatness and infinite wisdom of the Creator will be recognized only by those who really endeavor to draw their ideas from the great book we call nature. What was he saying? He said, you can look at nature and you can learn about God. And this was a common theme. Men like Galileo Galilei looked to the stars and he wanted to learn about not just the world we live in, but about the God who created it all. You understand, for much of mankind's history, they've believed in a creator. The truth is it's only the last hundred years or so where it's really taken root this idea that there is no God. And that everything you see just kind of happened. And boy, when you get into studying nature and you begin studying science and the universe and the uh, theories of origins and the fine-tuning of the universe and even the fine-tuning of our planet that allows life to exist, you have to go to great lengths to deny the great designer, the great architect, the creator God. Isaac Newton was a noted English scientist and innovator in the fields of mathematics, optics, and and mechanics. 
he considered numbers as a path to understanding God's designs. Galileo looked to the stars to learn about the Creator. He said, quote, mathematics is the language with which God has written the universe. You can look at the stars and the things we know and can observe and the mathematical precision of how the universe operates demands design. The idea that everything we know and see just somehow accidentally exploded from nothing and became this well-oiled machine we call creation is insanity at its heights. And only, only by making the whole enterprise undetectable and unobservable can it even be fathomed to be true. Well, could this have taken place over millions of years? How many of you remember when you were young, evolution took millions of years? Well, now it's billions. You know why? Because they learned it couldn't have happened in millions of years. Billions, hundreds of billions of years. Is it possible that over hundreds of billions of years that somehow everything you see came to be? Could it have happened in a year? It's ridiculous. Ten years, a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years. Fantasy, ridiculous, insanity. That's just increasing the number. It's in hundreds of millions of years. And one of these days, it'll be trillions of years ago. Scientists in the past studied what they could see to learn about our maker and how he created the universe. But over time, something happened. Men became full of themselves. Irreligious people looked for a way to detach humanity from their maker. See, if there is no maker, there is no judge. If there's no judge, there's no consequences. If there's no God, man becomes his own God. They believed that if there was no creator, then there was no accountability or standard of morality. In the absence of God, mankind could be God. The theory of evolution finally gave people a way to depart from faith in a creator. You know, it's interesting, although Darwin himself still believed in God, they don't tell you that. Although he still believed in God, his theory led others to believe that the universe could be created without God. The The theory of evolution itself, it's said as if it's one thing, but it's multiplied different ideas and concepts and scientists themselves don't agree about what evolution is and how it took place but it is said as if it is a fact this is wood the sky is blue the grass is green evolution explains it all and scientists themselves honest scientists will say evolution doesn't explain it all especially the origins of where we all came from it falls Very short. Since the Scopes trial of 1925, evolution has come to be taught almost exclusively in America's educational system. Every day kids go to school and they learn about a godless universe. Godless biology. Godless chemistry. Godless astronomy. Everything they are learning They are learning in a vacuum of the absence of God. The songs they listen to 
don't talk about God. The TV shows they watch act as if there is no God. The only time he's mentioned is as a curse word. Parents today protecting their children from religion. People today in their late teens and 20s who've never stepped in a church of any kind for any reason. Not a funeral, not a wedding, not Easter, not Christmas. And over time, this naturalistic view has taken hold. Some scientists today even doubt the existence of anything supernatural at all. They deny man has a soul. They deny anything that can't be seen and touched and tasted and felt and observed. They reason falsely that if they can't see it or understand it, that it must not exist. And yet those who reject a supernatural God because they don't understand Him will go home this afternoon and flip on a light switch and watch the light come on. They don't understand electricity. They don't know how the house is wired. All they know is if they flip the switch, something happens. And we know far more about God than people want to admit. God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. Some people say, well, Christianity isn't testable. It's not observable. And I say that's, that's baloney. That's hogwash. Christianity is testable. It is observable. We have scriptural proof that there's a God. We have historical proof there's a God. We have archaeological proof that the Bible is true. We have philosophical arguments that argue argue for God. But the one thing you can't deny is a life changed by God. And when Jesus healed the man, the Pharisees said, well, one thing we can't deny is this guy was lame and now he's walking. And that's true. The one thing they can't deny is the effect that God has on lives. Just like you go home and flip the switch and the light comes on, you don't know how it all works. But why do addicts that get saved, you see them a few months or years later and they're all cleaned up, they have a different life. The alcoholic that used to live from drink to drink, now they have a different life. The maniac of Gadara who was naked and running around, filled with devils, creating chaos and harm, is now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. God promised us things. Jesus said, follow me and I'll give you peace and joy and faith and eternal life. And those that believe in Jesus are observably different than who they were before they believed in Jesus. We could spend a whole sermon on that, a whole series of sermons. We have evidences of the supernatural world all around us. What happens is when mankind chooses to ignore the supernatural and focus on only the naturalistic, the result of this separation of mankind from his supernatural roots has been catastrophic. Millions flounder in mediocrity and malaise with no hope, peace, or joy. Unbelievers look to natural elements such as amusement and accomplishment and addiction to fill the void in their heart. Multitudes flounder in godless lives, stumbling about in spiritual darkness, looking for more. 
Natural medications are prescribed for spiritual problems in a futile attempt to fix them. Depression, anger, immorality, suicide, and more are all on the rise in a world with no knowledge of a Savior to defeat them. And worst of all, the broad way leading to eternal destruction is crowded with lost souls stumbling into a supernatural hell they don't even know exists. See, when we deny the supernatural around us, the results are terrible. So this year we're going to be talking about supernatural. And all the different parts that God will have us look at. But this morning, in just a few moments we have left, allow me to show you why the supernatural is important in your life. And how embracing it will make your life infinitely better. And to do that, we turn back to the scriptures we began with in John chapter 4. I want to say, number one, that God is supernatural. God lives above and beyond the natural world. And we see Jesus here having a conversation with the woman at the well. And he began talking to her about worship. These people were religious. The Samaritans were religious. This woman understood she had a God that she worshipped. Verse 19, she said, Lord, I per- sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she began talking about her religion. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she tried to do away with the powerful words of Christ by pointing back to her religion. Oh, you're religious. You have your religion. I have my religion, she said. And let me just say that we hear that today in our world. And it doesn't matter what your religion is. It matters whether you have the right one. It matters where you're serving the true God, where you're believing in the only Christ. We're not here this morning to compare religions. We don't go soul winning to compare religions. Our job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't get caught up in which religion's better. He began to teach her. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. What? We know the right place to worship the Lord. God built his temple, and that was where he put his name. As far as the Jews were concerned. But Jesus said, oh, there's coming a day where place isn't going to matter. Where you won't have to come to this mountain to worship. You won't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. But you're going to worship God in a whole different way. Because Jesus began to teach her something about God she didn't know. Look at verse 22. Ye worship, you know not what. <laughs> he said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. And how many people today, they'll fight and yell over their, their religion, but they don't even know the details of it. How many people you talk to, and they'll say, well, my priest could answer that question. Or, you know, well, my, my mom knows that. If, I wish my uncle was here, and he could tell you what we believe about that. Now, what do you believe about it? And a lot of people are worshiping what they don't even know. They claim some form of religion without even knowing the ins and outs. 
And my friend, hanging your soul on a vague idea of spirituality is not enough. Jesus said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What a true statement that the Messiah would come through the Jews and the whole world would be blessed through them. Verse 23, but the hour cometh, watch this, and now is. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? In spirit and in what? Truth. Why? For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He said, I'm going to make a trip to Mecca. It's not what God's looking for. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and pray at the Welling Wall. That's not what God's looking for. God's looking for someone to worship him in spirit and in truth. The right way. His way. Look at verse 24. And God drops a theological bomb on her. God is a what? Spirit. And they that worship him must worship him. Must. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, God's a spirit. God is supernatural. God's not bound to the laws of this world. God is not confined to a building or a place or a mountain or a temple or a shrine. He's a spirit. And we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, the, let's step back at this and look for a minute. The Bible's clear that God exists as a trinity. God is one being who exists in three co-equal persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three exist together in perfect, all-powerful harmony. Now, what the Scripture just told us is that God the Father is a spirit. God the Holy Spirit is obviously a... Spirit. Jesus Christ is the part of the Trinity that has bodily form. He was clothed in flesh and became a perfect man so he could die for the sins of man. Let me show you what the scripture says. Colossians. Turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 8. Here's a warning. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Hey, philosophy is not the answer. You don't need to read Young and Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and all these things. You need the Word of God. A lot of philosophers gaining traction today. And while philosophy built on God's Word can be helpful, don't get spoiled through philosophy, the, the thinking of man. Don't be spoiled through vain deceit is the next one. Empty lies. The world's full of empty lies. Then it says after the tradition of men. Well, this is just what we've always done. This is how we've always done it. My family's never gone to church. My family's always been this denomination or that denomination. This is how. Listen, don't get caught up in in tradition. Learn what God says and begin doing that. And then it says, after the rudiments of the world. This is the base things of the world, just the the daily functions of life. Well, I have to go to work. I have to pay the bills. I have to mow the lawn. I have to take care of my kids. I have to take care of my family. You can get so caught up in just living that it spoils you from Christ. How many people say, well, I can't serve God because I work? 
I can't go to, I can't read my Bible. I don't have time. I can't tell people about Jesus because of, I have these rudiments of the world. No, we don't allow the rudiments of the world to spoil us from Christ. We allow Christ to supernaturally empower us to learn how to live above that while taking care of all of our human duties, our natural duties. God can empower us to live above and beyond what normal people can do. Accomplishing the eternal while we fulfill our natural duties. Look what it says in not after Christ. These are four things that you can get spoiled And you won't be following Christ if you allow these things to spoil you. Look at the next verse. Verse 9, why? Why is Christ so important? Why should you you follow Christ? Verse 9, for in Him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the what? Godhead. Now look at me. People say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And they're right. The word Godhead is the biblical word for the word Trinity that we use. So the Trinity is the Godhead, the Godhead is the Trinity. But we find that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. What's the next word? Bodily. Everything that God is dwells bodily within Christ. Look at verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus Christ is the member of the Godhead who's mentioned to have form. The Old Testament appearances of God in the, in the Old Testament are called Christophanies. It's Christ appearing as a man to men in the Old Testament. God the Father is not seen in the Old Testament bodily. He can be seen as the fire and noise on Mount Sinai. He specifically told Moses, you can't see me. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by and covered him. And as God passed by, Moses was allowed to glimpse the back of his presence. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. The only time he's seen taking form in the New Testament is as the form of a dove. And this doesn't mean he became a dove. It just kind of looked like a dove following, uh, coming down to Christ. And then as the flaming tongues of fire at Pentecost. Other than that, you don't, you don't see the Holy Spirit every day. You don't see God the Father every day. Jesus Christ was that part of the Godhead who walked among us, who took on form, that perfect form of the Son of God. You say, well, if I can't see the Holy Spirit, then how do I know He's there? Jesus explained that in John chapter 3. He said, you can't see the wind, but you can see the rustling leaves in the tree. And you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the evidences of the Holy Spirit. You can't see God in this day and age. God doesn't come down and walk among us in bodily form. But if if your eyes are open, if your heart's tuned to His grace, if you're willing to see and, and you're open to the supernatural, you can see evidences of God everywhere. See, God is supernatural, and that's the point we're making. God exists above and beyond the natural laws of our world. He's eternal, existing outside of time. He's all-powerful, operating without confinement to men and nature. He's omniscient, knowing all there is to know. He's the creator of everything. He's the judge of everyone. He is 
supernatural. He is almighty God. And then let me say, secondly, just briefly, that man is supernatural. See, God is supernatural, but man is supernatural. Why? We were made in the image of God. God created us in His image as triune beings. We have a body, soul, and spirit. We'll get into this later in the year in much more depth. We have a body, soul, and spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-12, through 12, listen to this, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit, capital S, searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit, little less, of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit, big S, of God. See, when there's this capital S Spirit of God, then it's talking about the Holy Spirit. When it's little s, it's usually talking about man's Spirit. Then verse 12, now we have received not the spirit little s of the world, but the spirit little s which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is so beautiful. When it talks about we've received the spirit little s of God, what that's talking about is being born again. You see, God originally created man. Adam and Eve had a body, soul, and spirit. God told them that if you eat of the tree, you shall die. And the day you eat of it, you will die. They ate of the tree. They didn't die physically. They ate of the tree. They could still talk and think and know and be aware. Their soul didn't stop existing. But what happened? Their spirit died. The spirit, our spirit, is that part of us that communicates with God and is in touch with God. That's why after all that time that they met with him to walk in the cool of the day, after they sinned, God comes down to meet with them again and they're hiding in the bushes. They were disconnected from God because their spirit was dead. That's why we say that lost people are dead spiritually. They have a body, they have an eternal soul, but they're not connected to God because their spirit is dead through sin. And the process of being born again is that when you and I believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was put on the cross and He paid for our sins. He was buried and three days later He rose again and we say, I'm trusting you as my Savior. What happens is when you put your faith in Jesus, God does a miracle in you where that dead spirit is raised to life again. So you have a resurrection in you, just like Christ resurrected. That part of you that was dead is now alive, and now you can pray. Now you want to seek God. Now the Bible speaks to you. Now you have spiritual appetites you didn't have before. Why? Because your spirit has been resurrected, and you are alive. And this verse says, verse 12, that, that, but the spirit little s, which is of God. So God resurrects our spirit So now our spirit can talk to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can talk to our spirit. Now we are connected to God again. We're spiritual. You have a spirit. You're spiritual. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit of God indwells, watch this, our spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live in man? Does he live in my pancreas? Does he live in my liver? No. He lives in my spirit. And that Holy Spirit is now the down payment of salvation. We'll get into that another time. I'm trying to convince you this morning that man is supernatural. You have a unique place in creation. 
you're different than the wolves and the coyotes and the hamsters and the guinea pigs and the dogs and the cats. They don't have an everlasting soul. Watch this. God has made you with a natural body. You have one foot firmly rooted in this world. Taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. But you have another foot rooted in the supernatural. And here's what I'm trying to tell you today. Why are we so focused on the natural when we have a whole eternal world available to us that often we pay little attention to? I don't have time to pray, which is spiritual. Why? Because I've got natural things to do. I don't have time to read my Bible. Why? Because I've got natural things to do. I can't go to church. Why? I've got natural things to do. I can't talk about God. Why? I've got natural things to do. And the average Christian is so bound up in this natural world that they're accessing and living very little up to the potential that God's given them. This could be a life-changing truth. So much I could get to here. Let me finish up by saying this. You've been a good, good congregation today, listening well. I said, number one, God's supernatural. Number two, man is supernatural. And then number three, God calls us to live a supernatural life. God calls us to live a supernatural life. And what we're going to be doing over the course of this year is focusing on the supernatural. Not denying the natural world. Not, Not denying my worldly responsibilities. But watch this. If I access the supernatural God's given me, I become a better man. I become a better father. I become a better husband, a better pastor. The more I'm focused on the things of this world, I, I, it's almost like I've been freed from sin, but I wrap myself back up in the chains. Why would we be bound again in slavery to the things from which God's delivered us? God calls us to a supernatural life. We're currently, our our, our natural bodies, we're eternal beings existing in natural bodies. And our bodies are currently restrained to the laws of the universe and and the predisposition of our DNA and sin nature. That's our bodies, that's the flesh. And I'm not telling you that if you access the supernatural part God's given you that you can jump off a building and fly. You'll drop like a rock. I'm not telling you that you're going to get some kind of a type of supernatural physical strength and be able to leap buildings in a single bound. But do you see how Satan distracts us where people said, boy, if you could have if you could have a supernatural, if, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? I would fly. I would be invisible. I would be this. I would be that. And God says all those superpowers are rooted in the natural world. But God comes along and says, what if I could give you the capacity to love like me? That's a superpower. What if I could give you the power to be long-suffering and patient and kind like Jesus Christ? 
that in the midst of the world's strongest trials, you don't become like a wounded bear hurting and killing everyone around you. But you can suffer long. God comes to you and says, what if I could give you the power? What if I could give you a piece of information that could make your loved ones live forever? What if I could give you the power, the words, the truth that you can go to anybody in this world and if they'll believe this, they can go to heaven with you and be with me forever. You see what happens? Because we're so worldly minded, we forget that God's given us the superpower to tell people the gospels and watch their soul be saved. Watch their spirit be resurrected. And we say, no, I'd rather jump over buildings. No, I'd rather fly. No, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be invisible. See, we're so naturally minded that we miss the great supernatural gifts God's given us. Here's our verse for this year, Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. See, to access the supernatural that God's given us, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you last scripture, Galatians chapter 5. Well, this, this will change your life if you let it. Galatians chapter 5. You say, oh, preacher, you don't understand. I've... I've got, I've got problems. I've got problems in my flesh. I've got sins that just have such hold on me. I've got an anger problem I've always had. I've got, I've got lust issues. I've got, I've got addictions. I've got, you know, my family's always done this. And no matter how hard I try, I just can't get victory. And I could never preach. And I could never help someone. I could never, I could never win souls to Christ. I could never. And what we do is we look at our world and we feel the, the, the chains of this natural world, and we realize that there's a part of us that's anchored to this natural world, this old body. But look what the Scripture says, Galatians chapter 5, and look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So what's he saying? Is you've, you've got a flesh and you've got a spirit. You can choose to walk in the flesh and just be like every other person. Or you can choose to walk in the Spirit, and now you have the divine power, the supernatural power to overcome the lusts of the flesh, to live differently than the world around you. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. What's the law? That natural law, that, that sin nature, and the law which condemns it. He gives you verses 19, 20, and 21, the sins of the flesh which bind man's hearts. Look at verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Watch this. Against such there is no law. Oh, this is beautiful. You see, if you want to choose to live the natural life, you're under the law of God and you're bound by the laws of nature. But if you choose to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, to the extent 
that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. The Bible says against those things there is no law. There's no law to how much you can love. There's no limit to how much you can be kind. There's no limit to how much joy you can have. There's no law. And whenever we focus on that spiritual part of us, we become unbound from these natural things that so easily beset us and we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking that one of these days you're just going to become angelic and start glowing because you've transcended through your own, your own power. But I'm saying that every day there's a choice. Every day I get to decide, am I going to be natural Paul Chapman or supernatural Paul Chapman? Am I going to walk in the flesh or am I going to walk in the spirit? And to the extent that I yield and I allow that Holy Spirit to work through me, I begin accessing the supernatural. I'm a different person. See, we can be like Jesus. We can have his mind to think as he thinks. We can have his heart to feel as he feels. We can have his power to rise above the craziness of this world. We can have his strength to transform lives. And here's the whole sermon. We are supernatural. It's time to start living like it. And as we go through this year, this study will show us how to step into our supernatural potential. And become more than we ever dreamed possible. Now this is only for Christians. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. You're eternal. But condemned. And hell will be your eternal home. You want freedom? Look to Christ. Look to the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's, for those of us who are Christians, let's this year ask God today, Lord, help me to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, begin teaching me what it means to access that spiritual part of me, to focus on the spiritual part of me. Not to the detriment of my worldly duties, but I'll actually be a better human, a better man, a better whatever I'm supposed to be, through the power of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth today. Pray that you'd help us to focus on the supernatural. Give us a lot of wisdom this year as we seek to live into our potential. But Lord, we know the flesh doesn't want to. Boy, the flesh wants its way. We're going to have battles to fight. Satan doesn't want us to live in a supernatural way. He wants us to stay small and confined, hindered. But Lord, I pray that you'd protect us. Oh God, I pray that you'd deliver us. Help us to see, open our eyes, that we can see the spiritual potential we have. Help us to focus on the spiritual more than we ever have. Help us to walk in the Spirit and be led of the Spirit. Help us yield to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless each person in this room, each family. May we feel the supernatural effects of obedience 
as you work through us. And Lord, may our church see wonderful days ahead. Powerful days. Souls saved. People baptized. Lives changed. Lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And may the light of Christ shine brightly from this corner and from us as we leave it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to, to work in our hearts. We'll have a moment of invitation if the Lord spoke to you. It's a good idea to walk an aisle, bow a knee. God just seems to honor that. You can talk to Him in your seat. But boy, it just seems to be something transforming about humbling ourselves and walking down and bowing a knee. It cements it in our mind. It plants that in our, our mind and our heart. What did God speak to you about? Are there sins from which you need delivered? Are there goals, spiritual goals that you have? Have you become so focused on the natural that you're a Christian that basically just living a natural life? Why not ask to be delivered from that today? Ask God to do in you what He wants to through the Holy Ghost. Let's stand.